Street Hockey Radio, that's right, BSH Radio. My name is Bill Matz. I'm your director of fun and games for the evening. <sighs> Last night was the first night I started to come to grips with reality. The Flyers were off, but the three teams ahead of them that played all picked up two points. It now appears to me, at least, as if it might be an insurmountable lead, but we'll get into that and much more. Let's lead off with introductions. Uh, let's start it off with the fly by herself, Kelly Hinkle. So you know how they say never meet your heroes? Okay. That's a thing. Sure. That is a thing. I've already met Charlie. So <laughs> Hey. Well, I met Gritty last night, and I'm just here to tell you that he didn't let me down at all. No? He's every, every bit as amazing as I wanted him to be. Yeah? What was the highlight? Um, Well, he does like a thing where like if you stand in front of him and look directly at him, he acknowledges you, which I think is nice. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. That's nice. Yeah. Not many people do that these how days. Not a lot of people do how was the event you were at last night? Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so Steph and I went to the Pennsylvania SPCA fundraising trivia night hosted by Al Morganti, appearance by Shane Gostisbehere. Um, it was a good time. It was at a comedy club, Punchline Philly, um, up in, I guess that's Fishtown, right? Um, sure. Yeah, whatever. Let's go with that. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. We uh, discovered very quickly that we don't know anything about sports that aren't the Flyers. So it was a good time. <laughs> good you talk about the Flyers. Yeah. Did you win the Flyers round? Uh, no. God damn. We, we did a lot of second guessing ourselves, mm-hmm. which was very stupid. Like we wrote down the right answer more than once. And crossed it out. Crossed and it out. wrote something else. Yeah. All right. Now let's throw it over to from theathletic.com, Charlie O'Connor. So here's a fun game to, uh, to sort of serve as a prelude to a coming conversation later in this show. Who, since the trade that occurred in mid-February, has received more time and goal for his new club since that trade? Cam Talbot or Anthony Stolarz? Tosto. <laughs> is, it, is the answer Alex Lyon? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, Kelly says, says Stolarz. Uh, it's got to be. St- uh, Talbot's only played one game, right? Two. He got in. He got a relief appearance and a start. Correct. Mm-hmm. Is it? Is it's, it really Talbot? It's Tosto. So it is Stolarz. Ah, okay. However, it. and this is why it's funny. <laughs> Stolarz has the edge by a whopping thirty-five seconds. Oh, okay. They both that. have played in one one start and one relief appearance. So basically, if and it's still possible that one or both of these guys could be re-signed by their respective teams. But if neither are, this could go down as legitimately the most useless trade in NHL history. It really could. Because they they both could become UFAs. They both would have never been used by their team. And they're both probably not, like, amazing uh, players. Yeah. I don't know if I did this. So I'm Bill Matz, and I'm your director of Fun and Games for Eat the you. evening. Um, I just want to real quick, since we're on the subject of goalies, good segue, Charlie. Hey-o. I just want to give credit real fast to, uh, to badass motherfucker Brian Elliott. Yes! Uh, I've said for a while now, I thought when he wasn't coming back from the injury, he missed from mid-November to mid the second month of the year. And uh, 
I don't know. I just kind of thought it was in his best interest to say, yeah, I can't come back this year and sell in the offseason that I got myself 100% healthy and I'm good to go. This guy has whatever you think of Brian Elliott and his, his abilities in net. He has battled for this team. He has fought through injuries for this team. Uh, in my segment on the Big Daddy Graham show last night, I gave him one of the stars of the week simply because, hey, man, this whole run started. We were like, yes, Carter Hart, he is the answer. Well, Carter's been out for a little while now, and they really haven't missed much in terms of uh, production between nope. the pipes. Like I said last night, the Flyers were off, but a couple of teams won ahead of them. Penguins are now nine up, I think. Uh, Montreal and Columbus are five up, yeah, I believe. Five back now, yeah. It's it's not looking great, but the fact that this was even, it even became close at any point, and it still could be close. It's not out of the realm of possibility, but it's looking bad. Yeah. Uh, I, I got to give a lot of credit to Brian Elliott for, I believe, putting the team ahead of himself, ahead of what I figured was best for him. Uh, he's got a 923 save percentage. He's 5-1-1 one, one since he's come back. Good for you, dude. Thank you. Thank I, you for doing what you did and making this last part of the season somewhat interesting, at least. I would disagree that it, it was best for him. Like I disagree with your premise that it was best for him to sit out the rest of the year because I think it was more important for him to show other teams that he could still actually play in the NHL for three weeks and not get hurt than okay. it would that it would be to get healthy and hope he was going to you know get a tryout contract somewhere in September. That's my, my belief was that he was just kind of gonna go the tryout route either way yeah and if he gets hurt now it's gonna be oh yes in december when we're looking for a goalie oh brian elliott's available whatever teams you know not just us but anybody and i just thought his best chance to catch on somewhere prior to a training camp beginning was to just say hey i'm 100 percent healthy i dealt with some stuff and now i'm good to go i can easily be in a tandem for you we'll get into some goalie stuff uh in a little bit but I guess the news of the day, it, it happened a little bit ago, but it was upheld. The Jake Voracek suspension. Two games, it was upheld. He will not be available uh, tomorrow, right? He'll be out for the Correct. Thursday game against Washington, and he'll be back Friday against Toronto. Yeah. I got to tell you, I was in the my I was very much in the minority on Twitter. I was getting blasted by everyone calling me uh let's just say the p word. Uh listen, everyone knows I love the violence. I'm all about the fights. I like big hits. I thought Jake's hit was a bit of a cheap shot. However, however, uh <laughs> the two game suspension seemed absolutely nonsensical considering the fact it was called a major on the ice. You know, yeah. I always feel supplemental discipline's only necessary when they blow it on the ice. Uh, he had to serve five minutes, and also he was the subject of embarrassing retribution attempts throughout the rest of that game, and they, they ended up giving him another minor penalty for getting run at and defending yeah. himself, which was, you know, that's just the NHL, I guess. Oh, let's get you off the ice because uh, they don't know how to fight I <laughs> but man two games i know there's not a grand conspiracy against the flyers that's just something no. every fan base penguins fans think they're persecuted it's like dude you won six lotteries in a row <laughs> <laughs> they're the opposite yeah, of you're, yeah. yeah you're a town the size of this table and you're one of the premier teams in the league come on 
but their team thinks they're persecuted. Yeah. What was the the one thing that uh, that Rutherford went on when they got Ryan Reeves? It's like, well, now teams won't be able to beat up our stars all yeah. the time. They, they really did. In they, the Wired thing, like literally the only audio of the Penguins in that entire program was just them whining about things yeah. on and off the ice. I know that there isn't some grand conspiracy against the Flyers, but when you look at some of the discipline that honestly just hasn't been handed out, how the hell does this warrant two games? And I thought it was a bad hit. I thought it was a bad yeah. play. But five-minute major, done. Done and over with. Why is this worth two games? I I don't know. And I know the immediate response from Flyers fans was to go to the Malkin thing, which people got pissy about because they're incomparable, which they absolutely are. You can't compare the two things. They're two completely different things. However, I think it's easy to look there because what he did to Roffle was so egregious and only ended up with one game, and he's an absolutely dirty player at all times. Yeah. So you're like, okay, so that baseball swing at a guy's head, one game, this Peter Forsberg without the puck, two games. And that's the mm. when we talk about intent to injure, yeah. I don't believe Jake, in, Jake Voracek meant to injure no. Johnny Boychuk. I think he just missed time they play and maybe misinterpreted what was happening on the ice and some things went wrong. When you swing your stick in that manner, that is an intent to injure play. There's nothing else that's in no way related to hockey. It has nothing to do with the game other than trying to hurt somebody. And we have the Mantha thing against Giroux. Who took the run against Nolan Patrick? Um, Oh, it was that Gabriel guy, right? uh, Yeah, I can't remember who it was. But, yeah, the the absolutely disgusting... premeditated honestly boarding against Nolan Patrick all these things that are worth one or zero games that have happened and we look at this and they made a point to say Voracek has no prior history whatsoever he's played in how many hundreds of games and has never been called a dirty player has never made a play like this and suddenly like would it have been four games if he'd had a prior if he'd boarded someone a year and a half ago would this have been worth four games it was, it's, I don't know. So here's the, here's the, by the NHL's rules, why it was two games. And, and I, the, I understand why fans are always going to do the comparison of, well, look at this hit that got one game. Here's why. So they deemed, they, basically it, it, there were three things that happened to get it two games. Number one, they deemed it to be an illegal hit, which it was. It sure. Was, it was interference. Yeah. It was an illegal hit. Number two, they deemed there to be head contact. And number three, they deem there they, they didn't deem there was an injury. So if if it's not an illegal hit, the fact there was head contact doesn't matter. It was an illegal hit because he didn't have the puck as interference. If there was no head contact, there's probably no uh, no no supplemental discipline because pri- generally speaking, the supplemental discipline only occurs when there's head contact. Whether it was primary head contact or whether it was just follow through head contact doesn't matter. If it was an e- illegal hit and there's head contact, it usually gets disciplined. So n- so now it's 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 cleared both of those two things and it's going to get disciplined. And then because Boychuk is still hurt, it gets bumped up from probably it was probably in the fine to one game territory. Boychuk gets hurt, they bump it up to two. So the thing stupid. with Malkin and Roffle was that Roffle didn't get hurt. Yeah. If Roffle would have gotten hurt, 
Malkin might get four or five. So that's why. I mean, you can disagree with the logic. And honestly, the reason why I didn't think there was going to be a discipline, any supplemental discipline is because I didn't think there was actually any concrete evidence by the video that he actually made contact with his head. Yeah. That, that was what I thought was going to save Warjack was that you can infer that he might have hit his head. But I didn't think any of the angles showed conclusively that there was head contact. I thought the angles showed that there might have been because his head jerks back, but it could have just been to hit him in the chest and his head went back because he got hit. Clearly, the NHL decided there was definitely head contact. And once they decided there was definitely head contact on an illegal hit, they had to give that boost in for the fact that Boychuk got hurt. And that's why he got the two games. And that's why Malkin didn't get two games. That's why, you know, pretty much all the all the plays we've complained about this year for Flyers, the Flyer luckily hasn't been hurt, yeah, which yeah. has been good. Yeah, if Giroux had just faked being hurt when he got his head run into the, run into the boards like it was WrestleMania being thrown into the turnbuckles, yeah, yeah. He w- there would have been a suspension, but since Drew is uh, actually tough, he got up and there was no— We're uh, just lucky. Like, I, like really, yeah. just lucky. Yeah, like, I, I, I just—it blows I mean, my mind. As someone who was like, it was called right hurt. on the ice and things are—this uh, should take care of itself. To see a two-game suspension, suspension for that is just ridiculous to me. I don't care what the logic is. And, yeah, I agree. He did—whether or not you can prove there was head contact, he, he lifts and comes up high. Yeah. Like, there is— I, I just I wonder, and this is something that obviously you're never going to get anyone to admit to this. I legitimately wonder if they gave they if they gave him the two games partially because they wanted it to hurt him, and they knew that if they just gave him one, his response would just be. Well, we're playing Otto. We're going to beat Otto without me anyway. Who cares? <laughs> this was by giving him two games. This was a way to actually hit him where it hurt, which was your team won't get you in a game that they will need you in against Washington. Because a one game suspension against Ottawa is basically saying, like, you can't play that minor league team. Like, that's what Ottawa is right now. They are a yeah. minor league hockey team. The Flyers did not need Jake Voracek to win that game. By any means, they really if they beat Washington tomorrow, well, I guess it's probably going to be today. If you're listening to this right now, it's going to be probably because the goaltending stole the game because Washington's a better team than the Flyers and the Flyers are missing their second best offensive weapon. Yeah, that was my in whatever the last post game I did, uh, the Senators game. I was like, you know, it's going to be it's going to be tough enough to beat uh, to beat Washington at full strength, missing one of your three best forwards. It's going to be really tough. I just love, uh, Charlie, I know I'm I'm not blaming you, obviously. (laughs) I just love how the commissioner will allow Eugene Melnick to continue being a used car salesman owning that team, but he'll just say, oh, no, that game doesn't count, so we'll give you another. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let that franchise keep running itself into the ground and punish other teams who actually make the league some money. uh, Yeah, and that's just just a conspiracy. No, I know, I know, but it's probably the way this (laughs) league is run, Charlie. It's probably the most intelligent thing I've heard said about this whole situation <laughs> in the last 48 hours so like i uh, it just blows my mind as someone who thought it was a dirty hit I'm like yeah but sometimes shit just happens while i thought it was a bad play like how many shifts is jake Vorchek gonna take this year he made a dirty play on one of them yeah. like, i'm not calling yeah. him a dirty player yeah. like malkin elbows people regularly and yeah. has for some reason no prior i don't it's just yeah. and, and Vorchek, it's very frustrating and Vorchek flat out said uh, at practice today on uh, on wednesday that if they would have fined me or given me a one game suspension i would have i would have accepted it 
Like that that's fine. You know, I I think in, you know, having the the two hearings, he had the one hearing before the suspension, then he had the second hearing for the appeal. Like you could tell he kind of recognized that, you know, yeah, that wasn't the best thing in the world that I did. Whereas after the game, he was just like, Yeah, this is ridiculous. I did nothing wrong and Boychuk screaming at me for no reason. Like basically, <laughs> what an asshole. Whereas I think now he recognizes that he did something wrong, but he still is of the opinion that Two games, really? I Two just games? found yeah. it. I just found it absolutely. And this is off topic a little, but I just found it absolutely hilarious. Uh, later in the game, he's standing around center ice. He, you know, makes a pass, and someone just takes like a ten stride run at him, and he doesn't budge. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't move him at all. And I, I got all these other like Islanders fans in my like, oh, he didn't even answer the challenge. I'm like. Yo, whoever challenged him was probably going to be in trouble. Yeah. Voracek doesn't scrap often, but he can. Oh, he he's can. A lot, yeah. He's yeah. a lot bigger than you think. Yeah. And also crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and also so, crazy. Look at that beard. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's not screwing around. I just, it doesn't give any, it, it doesn't give anyone who thinks the league just spins a wheel and makes shit up. It doesn't make anyone think twice about that. Nope. It, the way everything, George Paros, listen, man, I respect the hell out of you. You're a tough son of a bitch. Uh, the way you're running this thing is much like it's always been run backwards. Yeah. Remember how we talked about on Ice Board about how the league just does dumb stuff so that they can say, see, we don't like head hits. Yeah. This is one of those. See, no, guys. It we do, really don't like when you do it that. It does seem like one of those, yeah, uh, we don't really have a problem with it, but this might come up in a highlight video during litigation. Yeah. So <laughs> let's say, hey, Jake, Vor- the hammer. Jake Voracek is a point-of-game player, a former All-Star, and we suspended him, see? Like, I, I uh-huh. just, this fucking league, man. Yep. All right. Elliot versus Talbot. I guess Damn. this is kind of the crux of the show right here because it's some, it's a conversation we had right before we started a lot of people, including me, I'm not saying it's right or wrong to think this way because I'm one of the people who thinks this way. I'm very much torn between, yeah, the odds are slim, but let's go for it because we're not going to get a top two pick anyway, so let's see what happens. And I want to still make some evaluations for next year. Yeah. I still want to, while I want to push for this thing, I also kind of want to find out who's going to be with Carter Hart next year. I don't want to have question marks in net for the 50th year in a row. Uh, I, I just want to know what's going on. And Elliot's going to come out. Uh, Carter Hart's going to come back on Thursday, but Elliot's going right back in right. on Friday. What is going on with this thing? Yeah, it's it, it's it's a fascinating look into the, the competing emotions of Flyers fans right now because it, universally everybody wants the Flyers to make the playoffs. You know, it, it, obviously the playoffs are fun. It's, you know, it, it kind of justifies all of the infuriating parts of the season if they actually come back and make the playoffs. It makes it all feel like it was building to something, which is nice. And the fact of the matter is, is that you want to see them make the playoffs. Like, you know, we said before the year, we expect them to make the playoffs. We want to see them win around. If they get in, are they going to beat the Lightning? Probably not. But hey, stranger things have happened. The, the Canadians beat the, the Washington Capitals in 2010 that one time because Halak stood on his head for four games. Like, strange stuff happens in playoff series sometimes. But... Not only do people want to win, want the team to get the playoffs, they also want all of the stuff to happen that happens when you're not going to make the playoffs, such as we traded for this guy, Cam Talbot, and we want to see what he has before we decide to sign him, so we got to play him, such as we want to see Sam Moran because we want to see where he fits. Like Those are the kind of things. Like, like Talking about Elliot and Talbot, Elliot is the better goalie right now. 
If, if you're talking about who's going to win you the game tomorrow and you're choosing between Brian Elliott and Cam Talbot, Brian Elliott's the better goalie. And that's not a slight against Cam Talbot. Brian Elliott, this year, has a 916 save percentage. Cam Talbot has an 894. Over the last two seasons, Brian Elliott has been better. Three of the last four seasons, Brian Elliott has a better save percentage than Cam Talbot. Like, Cam Talbot is not a bad goalie. He's not having a great year. He's not a bad goalie. Brian Elliott is a better goalie. So if you're talking purely about just who will help you make the playoffs, Elliott is the no-brainer choice. So if you are saying, I want Cam Talbot in games, you are essentially saying, I care more about next year than I do about making the playoffs. And I think a lot of fans kind of want to have it both ways, and they don't want to look at the implications of saying, why isn't Talbot playing? Well, because Talbot's not playing because you're trying to make the playoffs. That's why. And and Elliott gives you a better chance to make the playoffs. Full and stop. I, I think this is the trouble you run into uh, not um, not necessarily even a bad thing, but when you have a coach with the interim tag. Sure. This mm-hmm. guy is deciding every single morning when he wakes up in the morning, what gives me the best chance of winning today and how do I get a job, whether it's here or elsewhere, next year? Sure. But at the same time, like, let's – all right. Let's try and try not to wince too hard. Let's try to envision an alternate universe where Dave Haxel did not get fired. No, thanks. And the, ah. and the Flyers go on a run. And they're they're in the same place they are now. Not to say that would have happened, but let's just imagine. Absolutely not. If that if that was the case, and Dave Haxall is in this situation, Dave Haxall is in a position where this was supposed to be a step forward year. He's got to make the playoffs, or else he might get fired at the end of the year. You don't think somebody like that's going to do the exact same thing? Oh, the, totally. the only oh. the only coach who would not be doing this is if you have Joel Quenville on who a six year contract yeah. who doesn't give a shit. He's the only coach who might look at it and say, "Well, this team's not going to win the cup this year. I don't care. Let's see what we have in Talbot and take another run at it next year." Aside from that, any coach would be doing what Scott Gordon is. The interim tag is it it, it plays into it, but it's not the main reason. Most no, coaches yeah. would do this. Exactly exact same thing because their job security is incumbent upon them getting to the playoffs and to me there's also a part uh, like in thinking that while yes you can make the you can determine that every day especially while Carter Hart is out Brian Elliott gives you the better chance to win that day but as the schedule condenses as we really get down to it knowing Brian Elliott's history he's good he's good he's good he's hurt Agreed, yeah. but now knowing, the, now the schedule is getting but, tight. Now Carter now Carter Hart's coming. Now back. <laughs> Carter Hart's coming back. Yes, uh, just knowing his history and knowing what could happen if we are making that push, a game or two to break up to just break up the workload seems like even if Brian Elliott's going to say Carter Hart's not coming back this year. Say let's just play in that universe a minute. Say he's not coming back and it's just Talbot and Elliott. Breaking it up a little bit Agreed. gives you the opportunity to get more in the long run out of bet, and the long run might end when the regular season ends. It might end four games into a first round series with Tampa. Whatever it is, in that in this season, it's I don't know. It, just give them a few, give them a no, couple of starts, give them a little bit of ice time. Yeah, and and I mean they're doing with Elliot now what they've done with him pretty much the entire time that he's been here, and it never ever works. And it's I mean it's really why I think fans hate him so much. Like you don't actually hate Brian Elliot, you hate the team's handling of Brian Elliot because they play him until he can no longer stand, and then he dies and has a terrible game, and you hate him again. Um, but yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense to me. I think to you know, let Hart, Carter Hart get his legs back under him, and maybe you rotate backups. Is that so bad? I mean, maybe, but 
there's not a lot of games left. No. Like, that's the thing. There just aren't that many games. There's not... You know, part of the reason why they were sort of able to ride Elliot is because the schedule allowed for it. The schedule had a lot of gaps. You know, yeah, there, was, multi- there was not just the one day yeah. on, one day off. Yeah. They've had the they've two had days two and- days off here and there. The one back to back, they did give Talbot a start, but you're just running out of games. What do they have? Thirteen left. Twelve left. I believe that's, thirteen that's left. I believe. Right. I think what was last the other night? Day was sixty nine. Yeah, so thirteen <laughs> left. Like. What is your dish? What is your ideal distribution? Like, I I don't know how. Assuming both Elliot and Hart stay healthy, I don't know how you get Talbot more than one or two appearances the rest of the way. And I guess the reason why you, you know why this doesn't bother me that much, it's because I don't know how much you really learn from having Cam Talbot play six games the rest of the way versus one or two. Like, it's 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 already a small sample. The better thing to do is look at, like, I think I think one year of Cam Talbot is a small sample. So I'm going to think five or six games is way too small of a sample. Like, if Cam Talbot went out there, it wouldn't really matter to me if Cam Talbot played five games and was bad in those five games. I would still look at his career and his last three years and say, I think he's a pretty good fit to be the, the tandem backup. He just had a bad year. Same by the same token. If Cam Talbot were to play five or six games and kill it, I wouldn't be like, man, I now they have to resign. It actually might be bad for the Flyers, and they might have to pay him a little little bit more to re-sign him so to me I don't really think it's that big of a deal that he's not playing much because my my opinion that he was a a decent choice to tandem with Hart for next year was not going to be swayed that much based on what he did over the final month of the year I was looking at his career numbers I'm like he's probably just having a down year or probably bounce back next year and I do think there's value in watching him in practice getting him to know as a getting to know him as a person things like that I also talked to him last week and asked him is the fact that you're not playing, does that make it less likely you will want to resign? And he was adamant, no, I, I I would like to be here. I don't know what the Flyers think. I would like to be here. So to me, it's just not that big of a deal that they're not seeing him in games because to me, seeing him in games wasn't going to sway my opinion that much anyway. I mean, honestly, and you said it before the show, that this Stolarz-Talibut trade, if nothing changes right now, was kind of like the most useless trade. Yeah, if neither of the teams resign their guys. Nothing really happened. I kind of felt when they brought in Talbot, because he wasn't just a random guy to back up, he's friends with Carter Hart, they train together, he likes him a lot, it's going to make him more comfortable here. That, to me, kind of said they got this guy to back him up. Like, that's just it. That's what's going to happen because we're not going to go out and get this guy who's essentially best friends with our franchise goaltender and then say, nah, psych, we're just going to get rid of him again. Like, I just don't see that happening. So, I mean, I I agree that it doesn't really matter that he's not playing. It would be cool to see just to get a look. But I kind of assumed when they traded for him that the decision had essentially already been made. I think the decision, and and we'll see. Maybe you know, maybe they go out and they say, "Hey, Brian Elliott, we like we we took a look at your medicals. We think you'll be fine next year. We'll give you another shot for next year on a one year deal." I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying it could. He is under contract with the team. They do know him. But I believe I I think if this decision was made, it wasn't even necessarily made. It was made because there just aren't a lot of possible fits there aren't a lot of goalies that are going to be free agents you probably don't want to waste a draft pick trading for a guy who's far from a sure thing like Talbot was maybe the best option aside from Brian Elliott (laughs) so like you pretty much have on your roster right now the two best options to tandem with Carter Hart for next year you have the slightly better but more risky guy and you have the slightly worse but not injury prone guy and those are that that's the decision in my mind you're gonna have to make because who else is 
really out there. Varlamov, who wants yeah. to stay in Colorado and probably wants to be a starter anyway. Like, these are your two best options. You now have exclusive negotiating rights with your two best options until the start of free agency. That's not bad. No, it's, it's pretty good. Yeah, I just... Uh, like, Jimmy Howard, I don't know if he... He probably still wants to be a starter, yep. and he might, he'll probably cost more. There really aren't that many guys out there. No, I just I just brought up the list of free agent goalies. You got Bob, who yeah, uh, he's he's gonna want to be yeah, starter. He's, he's gonna, probably going to Florida. He's a franchise goalie. Uh, yeah, the Florida thing, that yeah. connection. A lot of people have drawn those connections. Uh, Varlamov, like you said, I'm good on that. Mike Smith, does Mike Smith excite you? He's bad. Yeah, now. He, Jimmy he's Howard, old and bad. <laughs> Jimmy Howard, I'm good on Jimmy Howard. He's another 34 year old. We might as well just keep Brian Elliott if that's the option. Uh, Cam Talbot, right there. Boom. Hey, that guy. Like Cam Ward. Eh. Yeah, he no. sucks. Eh. Yeah, Brian Elliott, Michael Neuvert, Anders Nilsson, <laughs> Brian <Michael> Miller. <laughs> like, do you want any of these guys? I guess Robin Lehner's an option. Like, do you want to go Peter Morozik again? I sure I as hell don't. Russian now. <laughs> There's only his team to like what Charlie says. We might have the best two possible options here. That's that's true. That's the thing. Like, and also you can't you can't want Carter Hart to be your franchise goaltender of the future, and also want a big name yeah. goaltender. Yeah, yeah, like, absolutely. We've chosen already. We have the guy. Yeah. Now we're just getting a supplement. It doesn't have to be a superstar. It's fine. But I also like okay this year. Whatever happened, happened. Dave Hackstall, the mentality of the team, the goaltending, whatever the hell you want to blame, it was a lost season, at least for the first half, uh, in terms of the step that we were promised they were going to take forward. Yeah, they lit it on fire. Okay. Yeah. Next year, I'm expecting to take that step. I will accept absolutely yeah, nothing Yeah, there's less. nothing else. No. I cannot, As again, I started this show giving credit to Brian Elliott for what he's done. I cannot come into next year expecting Brian Elliott to be healthier than he was in the previous two seasons. I can't have question marks in net again. I realize Cam Talbot isn't exactly a sure thing. 21-year-old at that point, Carter Hart, not exactly a sure thing. But I kind of can project what I'm going to get. Brian Elliott has had the core muscle, the all sorts of... Injuries that nag goalies and hold them back and force them to miss large chunks of time. I don't know if he factors into the future, but Alex Lyons under contract for next year. We talked about it. He's had a good season at AHL. I ain't dependent on Alex Lyon to come up here and start 25 games next year. Agreed. Like, that can't be the option. We need to challenge for the Metropolitan Division title next season. That's as much as I want to make the playoffs this year, as much fun as this little run has been. I am looking towards next year. Yeah. We have to make decisions. So I'm, I'm, I'm still very torn on this goalie thing. I would love to get healthy Brian Elliott. If we could pencil Brian Elliott in for 35, 40 starts yeah. next year, that'd be awesome. But we can't. We literally cannot assume that's what he can do. Yeah, it's a, it's a real bummer. He did good here. He did. He I tried. He tried. He tried real hard. He did <laughs> like, his absolute best. You know, when he was healthy, he played well. And the way they handled him contributed to a 33, soon to be 34-year-old yes. goaltender mm-hmm. getting hurt sometimes. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Lots of goalies get hurt. His age and now the way he plays, it's going to result in that. Yeah. I, he hasn't been here very long, but he's extremely Neil Little to me. Just like a yeah. good soldier. Just a guy doing his doing job. Doing what he needs to do. Put your head down. Stop the shots. I have a I have an interesting group here now. I mean, oh. it's 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 our group that is always here. It's you two without Steph. We're pretty interesting, uh, but mm-hmm. yeah. Steph's I, interesting I to, too. I wanted to bring this <laughs> up, and I I, I think there's going to be some interesting opinions on this. Uh, I often just refer to Claude Giroux as oh, it's the best player on the team. Like I'll just say, you know, he's our best player. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, it's gone without saying for quite some time. The dude was an MVP candidate just last year, and he's mm-hmm. having another good year. But is it still true he's the team's best player? I've been watching Sean Couturier lately. He's kind of good. Uh, man, Some would say elite. Man, actually. he is... I don't think elite is a stretch at all no, in terms of no. a two-way forward controlling play. He... The play, the steals, just the little things he does, it's so hard to break the puck out against him. When he's on the ice, the other team needs two attempts to break out every yeah. time. I just really have enjoyed watching Sean Couturier become the player we all thought he was eventually going to become, or at least all hoped he was eventually going to become. So my, now I'm like, like, how good is he? What in what In what tier is he league-wide, and is he the best player on this team right now? The what tier is he league wide? That's a fascinating question. That isn't even something that I've really like. I don't, I don't know. I think he's he's around Bergeron levels, and I think Bergeron is one of the best players in the game. So if I think both of those things, so I think Sean Couturier is one of the best players in the game. I don't know if I'm willing to go that far, but I think he's been better. I don't know. It's it's a fascinating question. He's he's really good, and he's one of these guys where by by advanced metrics he's. By advanced metrics, he's right there. I think like the uh, evolving wild has a, a wins above replacement metric, and Sean Couturier is in, I believe, the top ten in the NHL uh, from skaters. Goalies do really well in that metric because they're goalies and they play sixty minutes a game. Uh, but yeah, I mean, by those metrics, Couturier absolutely kills it. He's in these incredible play driver. He's scoring at a great rate at five on five. He's on pace for more goals this year than he was last year when he finished second in the Selkie race. Like, there is a very strong case to be made that he's having a better year this year than last year, and that's despite the fact that he punted the entire month of October coming back from a knee injury. That's the, he got off to the slow start, and it all we all, okay, he's coming back from the injury. We'll see how this goes. But since then, he's been just pretty much incredible. Uh, I, I, and last year, there was a case, like like I said, Claude Drew, MVP candidate. Absolutely. You could have just, you know, watching Sean Couturier break out the way he did offensively, he had, leading up to that, some improving 5-on-5 five five scoring numbers, and there were things you could point to to go, he's a better offensive player than we give him credit for for a few years. But he was playing with Drew. Mm-hmm. So you could just go, okay, you know, he's probably not this good. Every time yeah. they've taken him away from Drew, his line is still the best line. Yes. So it, it kind of takes us back to this conversation that we've had a million times that Claude Giroux, MVP candidate, yes, most valuable player. But is that the same thing as the best player? And I don't think it is. I think that Claude Giroux is still the most valuable player on this roster. Best? Arguable. I did, and I've referenced this a few times. It was a few years ago now, so I could probably update it and get a whole new article out of it. But <laughs> I did basically, I signed a numerical value to a team's postseason success compared to like what awards that team had, like like an MVP award. Like teams averaged, I think, losing in the second round when they had uh, someone who won the Hart Trophy or maybe it was a Hart Trophy finalist. I don't even remember the exact criteria. I think it was finalists. But then Norris you were getting to the conference final. And with a Selkie candidate, you were averaging winning the conference final. Like, And, like, Datsuk played into this when I did. Yeah, there yeah. was, like, a bunch of different stuff there. But basically, yeah, when you talk about what value really is, when you have that one, like, Sean Couturier, and it, it, it was obvious last year, but now it's 
true. Yeah. We can pencil it in. Like, Sean Couturier is this. Yeah, this is what he Sean is. Sean Couturier is an yeah. all-star caliber 1C in this league. It's not just, oh, well, he's, he's a, he's a yes. 1C because he's the first-line center and there's 32 ones, or 31 1Cs in this league. It's like, no, he's an actual difference-making 1C. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I put this in the outline. And I'll try to articulate kind of what I mean by it. So I said, I think Couturier is the better player, but Giroux is more consistently impactful on games. And kind of, I, I almost, like, to, to use a comparison, I was trying to think of a comparison. This is the best one I could think of. Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. Ew. So Tom Brady is the guy who you see who does the stuff. Yeah, you know, he makes the throws. He's the guy who makes the throws. He, he is the most visible guy who helps you win games. Bill Belichick puts Tom Brady in position to do that. Bill Belichick puts his team in position to win those games that Tom Brady then goes out and wins you. And I feel like Couturier is kind of like Belichick, where in terms of pure value generated over the course of an 82-game season, Sean Couturier probably generates more of it over the length of the year with all the little things that accumulate into one big blob at the end of the year. And his blob is bigger than Drew's blob at the end of the year. But you can't do it without Drew actually going out and creating the goals. Yeah. Like, Drew creates more goals than Sean Couturier does, whether he's scoring it or whether he's setting them up. Like, he actually creates more tangible offense than Couturier, but... Couturier probably drives more value with all of the other little things that he does to set everyone else up to do the stuff. And like I like as as valuable, that's why I credit at least if it was Dave Hackstall or Ron Hextall, whose ever idea it was to move Giroud to wing and put those two yes. together. It's two guys who really complement each other very well. Like Giroud, like creates goals. That's what he does. Yeah. His job is to produce points. Yes. And at the end of the day, when you look at the points total, you go, he's better. He puts up the points. But when to me, the most important thing in hockey, the most important play in hockey is the breakout. Well, you kind of need your center for that. Yeah. He and winning battles. Yeah, to winning start battles. A breakout. Th- start the breakout. Get the puck out of the defensive zone, through the neutral zone, and into the offensive zone. So that you can make you you can get the most out of Claude Giroux because you have a guy who can get him to the place he needs to be. Or it's, get the most out of anyone, whoever yeah. Couturier is. No, it's with. been very like I never listen. If if Oscar Lindblom really is a top six forward, that's awesome to me. He's a third line winger who you can play on your second line because you have a guy like JVR who, yeah, he puts up the goals and everything. But let's play him on that third line, mm-hmm. get some good five on five matchups. Right. Like that's what Lindblom to me was his ceiling. When you watch him play with Claude Giroux, or That's when crazy. when you watch him play with Sean Couturier, you go, oh, shit. This guy might be a top six. Like, you can play yeah. him on your first line. It's not maybe the most ideal scenario, but he's in no, he's by no means outmatched out there. Yeah. And I just, I'm really, overall, this late season run, whatever it results in, I'm encouraged. Oh, absolutely. Yes. absolutely. I, did sure. not, I did not think I would get to the point of encouraged this year simply because I keep, I, we've seen this team make late season runs. This is not uh, – granted, like you pointed out and I think your article last week or maybe earlier this week, they are putting up points on pace with the Lightning yeah, who yeah. are the best team since a 
chock full of Hall of Famer Red Wings team in 95, 96. <laughs> no, I, we, we said that on this very show yeah. that, like, in January, that, man, if you think the Flyers are going to produce points like the Lightning the rest of the year, you're insane. And they're doing it. Yeah, they are, they are doing <laughs> they're that. They're actually doing it. It's, yeah, so uh, I, I didn't think I'd get to the point of encourage this year simply because I was so disappointed in the way they started. I was disappointed in everyone telling me, oh, no, last year we know is unacceptable. We need to win around and all this stuff. And then they come out and just throw away the first three months of the season. But I've gotten to the point of encouraged. Well, I think I think uh, Jay Sack uh, from BSH uh, said this on Twitter a couple days ago. I think Dave Isaac actually put this in a column a week or two ago as well, is that what makes this particular run feel different is that it's happening. It's being driven by the kids who are in primary roles. Like last year, they yeah they got in the playoffs with Yuri Laterra playing every night, and basically, it, basically they got in the, they got in the playoffs last year. Nolan Patrick yeah. w- was a part of it, but they yeah. got in the playoffs last year because they had five players playing really well. They had Claude Giroux, Sean Couturier, Jake Voracek, Ivan Provorov, Shane Gosper. It was those five guys that carried this team. And this as, year, like, it's it's a lot like. Travis Sanheim's on the first pair. Yeah. Oscar Lindblom's in the top six. Noah Patrick's your second line center. You're, you know, Phil Myers is on the team and playing well for a team that is pushing towards the playoffs. Like all of the kids, there's no, there's none of this crap. Like, well, he's young, so he's got to be on the fourth line. He's young, he's got to get sheltered to third pair of minutes. Like they're all, they're driving this. The kids are driving this, and that's why it feels good for next year up and granted he was still fine but up until these last two weeks Claude Giroux was not producing points like Claude Giroux has Mm -hmm. for the first half of this season and all of last season he's right back on it he's still Claude Giroux but if it was just G having three point nights every night and dragging a mediocre team I'd be like all right whatever this is what it's been for the last five years but watching like Patrick Limblom, Konechny, Sanheim, Myers I got to the point of encouraged, and that's why I want to get to this next thing. And this was a Jason Mertidis tweet. I always want to call him Mertweetis when I refer to his tweets. <laughs> he I'm should totally change that, that yeah. to his handle. Uh, it's, it's such a perfect Twitter handle. It it's so it's a waste that he's not using it. Yeah, he basically just says, from what he's heard, they're kind of starting to say, maybe we should just keep Scott Gordon. Um, well, I think I think Bob McKenzie. Yeah, he. I think he referenced too? Bob McKenzie yeah. when he yeah. said, "Yeah, I think that's what it was." Which is what's scary yeah. because he knows everything. He does know everything, but what do you? I don't hate it. In its like in a vacuum, I don't hate the idea of keeping Scott Gordon. He's gotten the most out of these young guys, all that stuff. But like I said, we've seen this team make late season runs. I don't want to make decisions based on this run. When I think Scott Gordon's greatest asset, while I think he's done a great job getting this thing yeah. turned around, he's been great. The greatest thing he's done is being not Dave Haxtell. Yeah, he's just making the decisions that we were beating our heads against the wall, hoping that Dave Haxtell like, would have made all season. Recognizing that Andrew McDonald and Yuri Laterra are bad, are bad players, yeah. while that makes me really happy because I've been screaming about it for two years. Um, it seems very obvious. Yeah. Like, like a good coach would be able to come to this conclusion a lot sooner than it took Dave Haxtell, who uh, never came to that conclusion, as we always say. Yeah. His last game, he scratched <laughs> Oscar Lindblom, <laughs> who I'm talking about as it's not so that funny. bad on your first line, for your fucking Laterra, who stinks. He's bad. He's not good. So. He's not in the league. Is he even playing with it? Is he with. Uh, he's, is he he's, playing he's, hockey? He's, 
<laughs> he is not playing hockey. He's he's getting scratched nightly for the fans. That's good. Yeah, there you go. So the age, you know what kind of cracks me up about this whole thing about about Scott Gordon? It's that he it kills me that he was the perfect coach for the Dave Haxtell era. Like, like all <laughs> yeah. we said the, th- the the three years Dave Haxtell was coaching. This is this is a, a transition period. We want a guy who develops the kids, who's good with the kids, who sets the Flyers up for the future. And they 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 trotted Dave Haxel out there. And Dave Haxel for two and a half years or three years, whatever, all he did was play the veterans over the kids and hold the kids back and create an atmosphere that was very like everybody seemed like they were walking on freaking eggshells. And Scott Gordon comes in and he does all of the things. All of the things that we were screaming for Dave Haxel to do. And you're like, man, I wish I could turn the clock back. And from the start of the 2015-16 season, instead of hiring Dave Haxel, hire Scott Gordon to go through this transitionary period. And then, maybe after that, you hire a Joel Quenville. It's just now, like, like I I am really skeptical with Scott Gordon. I'm skeptical of the fact that the Flyers have not driven play a five on five under yeah. Scott Gordon. That that is the key thing that gives me skepticism is that they are getting out shot and they are getting out chance under Scott Gordon. They're winning games because they're they're shooting at a high percentage, they're getting good goals heading and their special teams aren't garbage. And I worry that if you hire Scott Gordon, all the good stuff's still gonna be there. The development's gonna be good. The the atmosphere is going to be better. Players gonna like going to the rink. But the fact of the matter is that they're not going to be driving play a five on five, and that's going to limit their ceiling as a team. And that's my worry. But he would have been so awesome really instead of yeah. Dave Haxtell yeah. the last three years. I don't even want to go back all the way to 2015-16. Take me back to the 10-game losing streak. Yeah, fire. We yeah. lost 10 in a row. Just fire Dave Haxtell and bring up Scott Gordon then. Yeah. I just want to know, like, what would we be getting out of no- a guy like Nolan Patrick, out of a guy like Travis Sanheim? Now, considering what we're getting out of them now, if they'd had that opportunity then. Yeah. So the main reason that I don't want to keep Scott Gordon is that I feel like as we're entering into what we're hoping is going to be a long stretch of time during which this team is competitive, I kind of want to see them have a consistent voice. Someone respected, someone who's going to come in and implement his systems with his assistant coaches and he's going to build a framework for this team to succeed. And I feel like a guy like Scott Gordon doesn't have the cachet of a Quenville. Like he doesn't have the level of achievement that allows you to kind of play through some shitty seasons. And I don't want to see this team struggle a bit next season, struggle a bit out of the gate the season after, and now we're talking about firing the coach again. Like, that's I, fair. That's not – I would rather sign a guy like Quenville to six years. This is the guy. Yeah. This is what we're going to do. Get it together. Make your push. No, that's – if they just – say they rip the interim tag off Gordon mm-hmm. and just say he's the guy without – you know, I'm sure they have feelers out to Quenville. They kind of know what yeah. that – I I assume they know what direction that's going to go yeah, at the end yeah. of this season. But just say they don't have a big coach search, whether it lands you a Coach Q or somebody else, uh, and they just rip the interim tag off Gordon. If they have a bad October again, we're right back where right. we started. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm done with this hamster wheel thing. And listen, if say they say Quenville takes a job wherever, because he's going to have his pick of jobs. There's like three teams in the league that wouldn't be interested yeah. in in Joel Quenville. Um, 
he chooses elsewhere. That shit happens. Yep. If they have a big coaching search, if they bring in a bunch of people with a bunch of different perspectives, they have a huge interview process, and there's names every day of who they're thinking about, who they're talking to, and then they determine Scott Gordon is the guy for the job, All right. I will have no problem with that whatsoever. Yeah. But I need, like, I need the opportunity to say we're not just looking to – replicate what we did yeah i, I want to win a division next year the that's what i'm looking th- yeah. to do the i'm only, looking to be competitive for the next six years the only thing that scares me is that we kind of know that dave scott wants a flashy coaching name kind of like just to have a flashy coaching name and i don't want to see them lose out on quenville for whatever reason and then go for like a dan bilesma or yeah. like a Mike Yo, yeah. or someone else. I, who, I agree with that. I agree. Name that you know, because they've been around for a long time, but they're actually shitty coaches. They just have name recognition, and Dave Scott is like, "Oh, hey, I've heard of him. Yeah. <laughs> he was in the Olympics that time. Let's <laughs> hire that guy." Like, I no. don't. I don't want Bilesma, but I wouldn't hate it. Again, if there was I a huge, hate it. if there was a big, if there was a big <laughs> you, interview, you guys hate Bilesma. I don't he hate. Ruined the Olympics, Charlie. <laughs> Having not enough good players ruin nope. the Olympics. Nope. I don't not hate Bilesma. That's not uh, that's not on the top of my wish list or anything. But again, if they had the big interview process and he came out the winner, wouldn't hate it. Mike Yo would. I would, I would hate that. I would be. I would be disappointed. I would with be. Mike Yeo. I would be openly critical. Of, Although you would uh, hope that Yeo. like Fletcher would put the kibosh on that. Maybe you would hope. But I, but oh, I, right. yeah, yeah. But like he yeah he fired him, but he hired him, and he kept True. him around for a long time. True. So I don't know. I yeah I just. I think I think you still have to have Q as your number one choice, especially now because the team is showing the team is showing there is there is close to turning the corner as we thought they were. It's just that the entire first half of the year was a disaster. That there's a lot of good things going on here, and Carter Hart being Carter Hart, and you know clearly at the very least he's not a bust. That solves a lot of problems for the long term as well. You kind of want I just. I, I keep going back to these five-on-five five metrics, and it's like I know that Joel Quenville coaches systems that drive play. I know it because I've seen it for 10-plus years. That's just what he does. Yeah. And I don't know if Scott Gordon does. So far, he hasn't. So far, the Flyers, as I said, have lived off of goaltending, shooting percentage, and good special teams. They're not driving play a five-on-five. Could he possibly do that over? You know, give him an entire give him an entire training camp to do everything he wants to do to teach his. Yeah. Maybe, and and I'll certainly be rooting for him to do that if he gets the job. I think he's a smart hockey guy. I think the players like him. I think he's a good communicator. does a lot of good things. But the certainty of getting a guy like Quenville, who I know can do it, and I also know that players around the league are desperate to play for this mm-hmm. guy. They, he is he is the epitome of a player's coach. That's players want to play yeah. for him. Like If he is willing to go to your team— I'm not to disrespect Scott Gordon, but you have to get him. If he's not, then maybe Gordon is the best choice. No, that's if if Q wants a job, Q gets the job. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing he's got to want it. In my mind, if he wants the job, it's his. And then after that, I think Scott Gordon is as good a choice as anything. Yeah, I I don't disagree. Unless unless a really good coach gets fired after the playoffs. No, if Peter DeBoer gets fired, give me goddamn Peter (laughs) DeBoer. But I don't see that happening. So yeah, I, I I have no problem with that. Again, if that's how they end up. I'm cool, but I just want something else. That established guy. He's yeah. got three rings on his fingers. I want those. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I, I don't think I've ever seen 
NHL players come out and just be so vocal about how much they loved playing for a coach than when Quenville got fired. It was like remarkable. And I would very much like to And when to you have talk that. about coaching a system that drives play, oh, play drivers that don't win anything, blah, blah, blah. I know all the <laughs> stuff that half of our listeners are going to be yelling at their devices while we're having this conversation. But ima- like, imagine if Claude Giroux and Jake Vorpcheck have the puck 60% of the time. That Wouldn't that be bad? That'd be pretty cool. That seems good. Seems it good. seems like they would both have, again, career years. I don't Maybe. know. It's just <laughs> one of those things. And, now, and, and another thing, too, about Quenville, and like this is purely – it was somebody. How do you brought- feel about that zone defense he plays, though? Well, I'm going to bring it up in a second, just because of one of the guys I want to talk about. But go ahead. Yeah, it's I. I don't know. It, maybe for a guy like Myers, that might not be the best. Yeah, it's. But uh, but I just somebody brought this up a few months ago. Was was the height of like the Islanders going on this crazy run with Trotz? And it was you know if you had a choice between Barry Trotz and Joe Quenville, who would you take? And my thing was was like I think I would take Quenville for this reason. I think they're both great coaches. I think they're both top-tier NHL coaches. Barry Trotz coaches a boring style of play. Joel Quenville coaches a fun style of play. If you give me two equally good coaches and one of them's fun and one of them's boring, I'm taking the fun coach every time because I want to watch fun hockey. Joel Quenville coaches fun hockey. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you look at – I mean, Trotz is, again, if the Flyers somehow ended up with Barry Trotz – I wouldn't be Yeah, I, I like seeing a team yeah. win games. Yeah, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I want to win either way. I don't give a shit who the coach is at the end of the day. But if, uh, yeah, if given that choice, I want Q. Now, I like I was saying, I wanted to allude to Myers because, man, is he fun to watch. Oh, like, I've never had fun watching a guy in the defensive zone as I have Phil Myers over his short tenure here. Uh, we're seeing Travis Sanheim really come into his own. But you pose a question here, Charlie. Is Ivan Provorov back? What have we seen out of Provy recently? Do we think he's getting back to that number one status? I mean, he's the guy. Yeah. Moving forward, he's gonna. They still play him twenty five minutes a night, like he's had the season. Like uh, they're playing him twenty five minutes a night, regardless of the fact that he's had a down season. Sure. But he's been better lately. Is he back? He seems back. At least on the road, back. And I think it. A lot of it. It seems like he's not. It seems like a confidence level has returned in him yes. that we weren't seeing at the start of the season. Yeah, I talked to um, – I'm, I'm working on a piece tonight actually on Rick Wilson, but I talked to Ooh. Gordon about Rick Wilson, and I brought up Provorov because it was like, you know, Provorov seemed to have turned the corner in the second half. Obviously, Gordon didn't watch a lot of the first half up close, but he watched part of it, and now Provorov's playing much better. And Gordon said, and this was an interesting comment uh, about Provorov, he said one thing that that he noticed when Provorov wasn't playing well was that Provorov seemed like he was doing everything at a standstill. He was trying to make plays while standing still. And he's like, now Provorov is moving. Everything he's doing is in motion. He's always he's going up ice with the puck. He's making passes while in motion. He's he's making himself a target for passes while in motion. And he's like that to me has been the biggest difference in his game over the last few weeks is that he's not playing at a standstill anymore. And I thought it made a lot of sense because I've noticed that as well. It's that's an interesting thing to bring up just because even when he makes mistakes, if you if you turn the puck over and your your skates are flat on the ice. You're not going to be able to make up for that play. Yeah. You're not. You're going to just be beat. 
if yes, even if you make a bad pass, even if something gets intercepted, if if you fumble the puck, at least you have the opportunity to get back and make a play. While like I don't think he's back. I wouldn't say he's playing close to the level he played at for the majority of the season last year. I will definitely say he has shown signs of improvement. He yeah. is getting back there. I think the game that he played against the Islanders, uh, the the most recent one, I think that was on the level of last year. He looked that, very that good was that, that was the best. I think that was the best game I've seen him play this year. He was he he got only finished with one assist, but there were two other goals that he. The, the only reason the rush started was because he broke up. The, f- the first one was he gets he, he's retrieving a puck. He gets smashed into the boards. The, the other two forwards think, hey, we're going to get this puck. And Provorov retrieves it before those two forwards can converge on him, passes it up to Jake, and traps all three of them behind the play. He didn't get even get a secondary assist on that play. That play doesn't happen without that without that retrieval and initial breakout from Provorov. Then later in the game, he breaks up a rush and then passes the puck out of the D zone, starts another rush, again doesn't get a secondary assist. But there's two goals that do not happen if Ivan Provorov does not make a great play in the defensive zone to start it. He was making those plays all game. That was really the first time where I, I said to myself, that's the Ivan Provorov from the second half of, of 2017-18. Not just a better Ivan Provorov. This is the Ivan Provorov. And I don't know, maybe it's coming back, you know, and we'll, we'll find out at the end of the year, if the, sir, the, the shoulder thing was nagging, you know, whether it was or it wasn't, I'm sure he'll, he'll reveal it. If it was in exit interviews at the end of the season, you know, maybe it's a combination of him being fully healthy, plus increased confidence, plus the fact that he has, a, I think he has a, a better rapport with Rick Wilson than he did with Gord Murphy. Like, maybe it's just a lot of things converging. And now the team's playing better, so maybe now he doesn't feel like he has to do everything, which makes him make more mistakes because he puts too much, puts too much pressure on himself. Is it, just watching him, just watching the way he skates with the puck, is he using too short of a stick? I well, he, there was there was talk about that uh, that he changed he changed his stick last year for it to be to be a little bit shorter, and then after he struggled with it the beginning of this year, he changed it back to what it was in his rookie year. Okay, so he has changed the stick, but I don't no, I I don't think it's a too short of a stick. I I think that's a little overblown. Okay, just the whole thing about that it comes up a lot. Yeah, it just comes up a lot. Uh, I guess we're going to wrap up tonight with these uh, the ESPN Top 50 Prospects. Chris Peters put out on uh, on Insider, ESPN+, Plus, whatever the hell it is now. Yeah. He put out his list of the, the Top 50 uh, NHL Prospects. Flyers had four on the list. Hey. First one comes in at number 13, Morgan Frost, having a hell of a year. Apparently, he's suspended indefinitely for cross-checking somebody in the face. Uh, but... Yeah, that happens. Somewhere between zero and one million games. (laughs) But uh, I've gotten a lot because I've advocated very strongly the Flyers badly need a center. That's my number one priority. I think Talbot and Hart is fine. Boom, let's do that as a tandem. Uh, If they want to add a top four D-man, listen, outside of Eric Carlson, there ain't nobody I want to spend money on in the free agent market. If you want to go trades for someone, we we have all the picks and prospects in the world to make that happen. But just looking at what's available right now, uh, maybe a Jake Gardner. Like, does that excite you? Not really me. He's probably the best one out yeah, there. Yeah, like outside, outside of Carlson. Yeah, yeah. Gardner is the one I would say. Okay, that's not the worst. Yeah. Uh, but uh, my number one priority is adding a center. Morgan Frost, of course, 
a center. He's one of those. A lot of people have asked me, should they leave a spot open in case he's going to make the team out of camp? He's having a tremendous year in junior. He is... Again, 13th ranked prospect out of everyone in the freaking out of everyone available. Number 13, he could end up being the next Claude Giroux. It's feasible, I guess. But should they account for that heading into uh, what 2019-20? No. I would. Thank I, you, Charlie. I mean, I want them to just because I'm a crazy person, but I know that they won't. I don't think they should. And it's probably if irresponsible he, to do it that if way. If he's good enough to make the team, awesome. If we have 10 top nine forwards, that's not a problem for me. Yeah, but can I nine? can't be depending on him to make this nah. team considering, yo, I thought Travis Sanheim was going to be here two years ago. He's just now having the impact. I thought, I don't want, I'm done with this. Let's <laughs> see. I want to win a division next year. Yeah. I can't be accounting for Morgan Frost. My way of accounting for Morgan Frost is that whoever, and I'm, I'm hoping they go out and they get a center in the offseason. Maybe they don't, but I, I think they. I think there's a good chance they will. My way of accounting for Morgan Frost is that whoever they get, I want it to be someone who has experience playing the wing as well. Because I want, I want it to be a guy who... who does play center, but can also move over to accommodate Morgan Frost if and when he becomes ready. Because I'm fine with Morgan Frost if he makes the team. I'm fine with Morgan Frost playing the wing to start. Yeah, I don't, think, I don't. I don't think it's going to kill him to Claude play the Giroux wing for the first the year. Right wing, like it's not that crazy of a thing. And looking at what they have in terms of top nine forwards. They kind of need a winger, too. Yeah. Like, I, like I, I want them to give Morgan Frost every opportunity yeah. to make the team, but I do not want to save a center spot for him. No, that would I wouldn't silly. mind saving, you know, if he, if, he, if he makes the team as a third-line wing, be, you know, next to whatever that center is, great. But I don't want to say we have this big hole in our lineup at 2C, 3C, and we're just hoping that Morgan Frost is ready because I think there's a good chance he gets sent down and spends at least part of next yeah. season in the AHL. I think he is could— he still small? He's pretty small. I man. think he could get the Giroux treatment. Like, we could yes. very well see him next year after Christmas. Yes, I agree. Uh, with that. Just to finish up this list, because we're running short on time here 23, Carter Hart. Obviously, uh, my, only, good. my only comment there is suck at Pronman. Uh, number 26, <laughs> Joel Farabee. Love Joel He's Farabee. having a hell of a freshman year, considering yeah, he, he got off to that slow start. Uh, he's killing it. He's like a point-of-game player for the last however many months. Number 49, rounding out the list. Phil! My God, is Phil Myers. It's a short... Listen, he's got his. Uh, he's going to have his ups. He's going to have his downs. But first impression of Phil Myers is... Uh, Man, he might be our best fucking defenseman. Well, I, I wouldn't like, go that far, but I'm I think like he's good. My, I'm, I'm already like Mike Richards level yeah. in Unfill Myers. I am loving, like, I'm buying a I jersey. Just, reti- I'm going to retirement night. Like I need, yeah, I need it. I don't care if it bites him in the ass every now and then. Watching him pursue the puck. And oh, the, God, Charlie says it a lot. I saw you tweet it the other night. At no point does Phil Myers ever think someone's going to beat him. Yeah, yeah. He's never, like, nah, never gonna, thinks it. I'm going to take that puck from yeah. you, sir. <laughs> That's mine now. I don't care, All Star, if you're going to try to if you're going to try to puck handle around me. Mm-mm. That play he made, he because he's been making some moves at the top of the zone with no with no backup, and it takes just it just takes courage. It takes a lot of confidence to make the moves he's making, and he's made them. He's drawn, drawn a penalty doing it, but he turns it over the other night. I'm like, all right, well, that happens. No sooner do I go, okay, that's going to happen, then he's caught the guy from behind, <laughs> stripped him of the puck, and is turning it back up ice, and he was not at full stride. Had he been going full speed, I feel like he could have got in front of the guy, faced him up, and knocked him over. Like His confidence gives me confidence in him. That's the list of the top four. That is all the time we have for you on BSH Radio tonight. Uh, for a team that looks like they're going to fall a little short 
I have gotten to the point of encouragement, and I think we can all at least be confident going into the next season that they won't throw away October, November, December. Well, uh, well, I mean, it requires <laughs> so any goddamn thing is possible. Guys, this is our two hundredth show. This is our two hundredth show. Way to go, fam! We've done two hundred. For Kelly, for Steph, who is not here, for Charlie, my name is Bill Matz. Have a great week, everybody. Are you ready to talk about sports? Yeah.